Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew... Ooh, okay. Thought I wasn't taping for a second. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely. And with me as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Thursday, October 20th, and today we're going to start a bit by talking about the uh, hack Salesforce M&A target list, and then we're going to move on to talking about uh, billionaire venture capitalist Peter Thiel, who has been in the news quite a bit recently. Uh, so, Chris, let's start with the Salesforce hack. I'll give a little bit of background. So, you know, we've actually talked about Salesforce quite a bit on this podcast recently, uh, mainly talking about their failed bidding war against Microsoft for LinkedIn, and then they were exploring a potential Twitter bid. So, it's mainly been talking about them in those contexts. Well, uh, former Secretary of State Colin Powell actually sits on their board, and as has been happening an increasing amount with any government employee at a high level these days. All of his emails were hacked and posted online, and uh, one of the emails that was hacked included a 60-page slide deck that provided it. That was a uh, that was board meeting materials for a Salesforce board meeting, and it had an overview of 14 potential M&A uh, M&A targets for Salesforce. The targets included companies like Demandware, who Salesforce would ultimately buy in June for $2.8 billion. LinkedIn was on there. ServiceNow was on there. Tableau Software, a couple other uh, growthy startup companies. Interestingly, it did not include Twitter, who they ultimately thought about buying. Uh, but, you know, the the leaked presentation made a lot of news headlines because now reporters are going crazy saying, hey, could Salesforce be buying this company? Are they looking at them? Salesforce has kind of come out and said, hey, we, we consider a lot of things. You know, don't think we're going to buy all these companies. But it, it's been really interesting to think about all the M&A rumors and everything that comes from seeing this kind of inside look inside Salesforce's board. So uh, I'll, I'll kick it over to you. We can talk about the Salesforce targets. We can talk about the code names, whatever you want to talk talk about. Boy, I love code names. You know, when I was a kid, kind of every kind of spy uh, game I had had kind of lengthy lists of organized code names like this. And uh, so it does seem kind of conspiratorial and fun. I think in the list of 2016 winners and losers, when you put those out at the end of the year, email is definitely going to be on the losers <laughs> list. I mean, you it's, it's been a huge problem just constantly, as have been celebrity board members. You know, mm -hmm. companies that have... Uh, no disrespect to former secretaries of state, an important and reputable position, but former secretaries of state, every single one I've had is run into problems. Uh, Hollinger, a big media company I had invested in once kind of after a uh, scandal. Uh, Theranos, uh, Ther same thing. Theranos uh, was the worst. Like uh, that, that was, who was it? Henry Kissinger was on mm -hmm. their board, who he's what, a 93 year old, uh, 93 year old man with no background in healthcare. And he was sitting on the Theranos board. It's like, what expertise is he bringing? And even Colin Powell, what expertise does a 70 year old former general bring to Salesforce, which is looking to buy, which is a tech, high growth tech company looking to buy other tech companies and how much time are they really spending i mean yeah. the board kind of goes back and forth between being not that important as long as everything's going perfectly fine mm -hmm. and incredibly important as soon as there's any type of problem and so you need somebody who has the bandwidth interest acumen ability to jump in the fray mm -hmm. and if somebody's a celebrity maybe coincidentally they're also a great board member but it's pretty unlikely uh and uh, so i think that that's a problem here. Uh, one aspect of this I'd say I'm very sympathetic to is I get asked the question all the time, am I thinking about something or am I worried about yeah. it? Am I considering it? And my answer is 
23 hours a day, I'm either worrying or thinking or considering. So uh, kind of the literal on the stand answer is frequently yes. Uh, but here it's clearly more than that. I mean, they go into a lot of detail, uh, in some cases kind of downplay and in somewhat adversarial terms, talk about the competition, uh, kind of almost military terms. Maybe it is relevant to have a former general on the board uh, that uh, could become interlopers. Uh, but they've really seriously thought about some of these, and it's clear amongst them the ones that are probably the most serious and the ones that are less serious. Yeah, so it, look, I agree with you. It, it would be... Look, everyone got really mad at Salesforce for considering the Twitter bid. Uh, you know, they probably went too far with it for a deal that was going to be, I think most people thought, overpriced and not enough strategic options. Though, you know, they're, they're, there's interesting stuff there. But you would be mad if you're manager of a multi-billion dollar company, if these unique assets were coming up and they weren't at least thinking, hey, you know, these are tangentially related to our business. Like, what would we pay for them? How could we integrate them? What would what would be going on? So you'd be mad if they weren't, if they didn't have documents like this. Uh, let's talk about the, let's talk about the nicknames a little bit sure. more because the nicknames are funny. So all the nicknames are related to, all the code names are named after winemaking regions. Mm-hmm. So for instance, LinkedIn was Burgundy, Demandware was Champagne. Uh, but despite the, like, I'm looking at one of the pages right now, it says Draft and Confidential. It gives the it gives the nickname of the company right underneath the actual company name. So what's the point of having a code name if you're going to say, "Hey, LinkedIn, we're calling you Burgundy"? Like it's in the document. It defeats the purpose of a code name. It's kind of crazy. So some at very least, you know, if somehow you have leaked to you only the bottom half of the page. Uh, uh, it is uh, somewhat hidden. Uh, a couple of the competitors, when they've had similar documents come out, I found in background sections of mergers, you can really figure out, you know, it kind of rhymes or it's kind of very similar to the names of the company. At least these are different. Although I think in an era where uh, there is a certain uh, antagonism antagonism towards the elites, the elites should not have picked Champagne, Tuscany, Sonoma, and Burgundy <laughs> as the names. We should have had something a little bit more man of the people-y for the M&A. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't have too much more to go here. I think we kind of covered it all. You want to move on to Peter Thiel? Or you I, got I, any I, just, I have a couple a little last go ahead, go ahead. things. Um, it, it looked like Tableau was one that was least discounted by uh, by kind of undermining their own thoughts or already bought. Uh, in the other, in the 60 pages, it, it had more uh, of focus than anyone else. And it looks like that one could still very much be in play and on the market. Yeah, I, I believe Tableau's shares were up 5% yesterday and actually one of my good friends is a tech analyst and he told me like six six months or 12 months ago he was like tableau would be the perfect acquisition for a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of different major tech companies and I, I don't really do too much tech so i was like oh okay but apparently he was right because yeah. and, and the interesting thing in the documents is i think people didn't realize tableau it says status it's got status for a lot of them so linkedin it's got status in exclusivity because they had already mm-hmm. signed a deal with microsoft tableau it says status in play and unless somebody unless you think otherwise i don't believe tableau has actually formally announced no. strategic alternatives or anything so i think people might have been digesting oh my god insiders think this is in play this thing might be in negotiations to be sold and the other ones where that phrase came up have already been sold exactly um, and then the last one i'd bring up uh is a uh, net suites which i think uh is something net suite is something that currently um uh, now larry ellison has a blocking position if he doesn't want to uh, buy it at Oracle. But if Oracle is true to its word and they don't bump or extend their offer and that sweet large shareholders are true to their word and they vote it down, 
uh, both of which uh, I might. Uh, let, let me give some background to sure. people. So, so NetSuite is a company that Larry Ellison owns forty-seven percent of. Mm-hmm. Larry Ellison is the billionaire chairman CEO of Oracle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Larry Ellison has a controlling interest in NetSuite. Yes. He is the chairman of Oracle. Oracle entered a deal to buy NetSuite for, I believe, $109, $110 per share. And uh, a bunch of minority shareholders have come out and said, this is not enough for the company. And now the two companies are at, at odds. The minority shareholders ha- can bl- vote the deal down. They're saying yep. they, they will vote this deal down. Oracle saying we will not t- raise our price. Take the deal, or else we will walk away. So they're kind of at loggerheads. And G- game of ahead. chicken. And just interesting that uh, they are uh, being looked at also apparently by uh, by uh, uh, Salesforce. And so I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, so. yeah. So the, the Netsuite is on the list of public public potential acquisition targets. Mm-hmm. I think the issue there is one of the issues I've heard a lot of M and A reporters say is, look, Larry Ellison owns forty seven percent, and he clearly wants them for Oracle. No one else is going to come in here because Larry Ellison can vote anyone else's deal mm-hmm. down. So it's kind of a tricky dynamic there. Not particularly great for shareholder value, but very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So why don't why don't we call it there in terms of Peter Thiel? Sure. Uh, so Peter Thiel is the billionaire venture capitalist, entrepreneur slash hedge fund manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, just some background: he co founded PayPal and served as its CEO uh, long long ago before. It was bought by eBay. Uh, he also co-founded, co-founded Palantir, which is a private company that was last valued at $15 billion in early 2015. Mm-hmm. He was the first outside investor in Facebook. He invested $500,000 for about a 10% stake, sits on its board. So this is a fabulously wealthy, fabulously successful guy. Uh, he's been widely known for his politics and his libertarian bent, and he's been in the news quite a bit recently. Uh, first, over the summer, it came out that he actually funded Hulk Hogan's lawsuit against mm-hmm. Gawker Media for publishing his sex tape. Hulk Hogan ultimately won $140 million judgment against Gawker that ended up bankrupting them. And Peter Thiel did this for revenge because he uh, he's actually gay, and Gawker outed, that, outed him without his permission in a 2007 article. So this was a long-planned revenge for Peter Thiel to get back at Gawker. So I just wanted to discuss a little bit with you, you know, what do you think about Peter Thiel's uh, strategy in bankrupting Gawker here? Well, I would say uh, that no matter how good or bad his recent uh, investments uh, in Hulk Hogan and then subsequently we'll talk about yep, him, Donald yep, yep. Trump might be, I believe they are going to prove to be less good than his $500,000 investment <laughs> to end up with more than 10% of Facebook. Well, I mean, look, we've talked about home run acquisitions before. That might have been the greatest investment of all time. The only one that even compares, uh, I believe, that one of the venture capital funds did Instagram for like $100,000 and got like a 120x return. Or so. But I mean, one of the greatest yeah. investments of all time. So, so on Hulk Hogan, um, let me just start off by saying, I don't know. I think it's a hard case. Mm-hmm. There are a couple principles that I care deeply about, but even mentioning them, it's still a hard case. I'm a First Amendment purist. But in a sense, Gawker was using their First Amendment rights. And in another sense, Peter was using his First Amendment rights to react to them. I believe in the 21st century in a country with over 300 million people, all effective speech requires funding. And so money is speech, is practical, useful, scalable speech. 
And if you have resources and use them, that is part of the speech. So I think that that is important. Uh, separately, I think it's important that people are innocent until they're proven guilty. And it's a huge problem in the modern media. It's a problem in our regulatory regime as well. But in the media where you can have the process be the punishment. By the time they've come out with something that you didn't want out there, uh, that, that you've already been harmed. And I think that that doesn't have historical precedence. It, it, new that we're dealing it's with. It's unbelievable. To, to take a wildly exaggerated example that is not true. Like if I found out you had syphilis or something, it, you know, a hundred years ago, if I went and told people that you could move, move a city over and nobody could kind of scandalize yeah. you with that. Yeah. Now, if I go out and tweet it, like you can never get rid of that. So it's crazy. I, I think you put it earlier. Offense just trumps defense so much in these cases. So it, it's just incredible how irreversible the harm that can be done from this sort of stuff is. But uh, go ahead. So, so I, th I think that um, now I have to say, and this should have no part of it, um, but I'll just it's our podcast. So I yeah. will throw out that I have very little sympathy to Gawker, whether or not something can be legally should be done. Um, I, I think it was crass, tasteless, harmful. And I think from a uh, setting aside the libertarian perspective, from a utilitarian perspective, I think they were hurting the people they wrote about more than any utility that could be gain from reading gossip i you know i don't disagree with you but at the same time like you know it, the the thought of billionaires being able to suppress media with these lawsuits yeah. like what if donald trump there's obviously been amazing reporting done on donald trump right. including the leaked hollywood access tape what if he was able to suppress that through threats of lawsuits yeah. and you know what if these pr smaller investigative journalists are suppressed to the point where the only person who can do investigative journalist work is major companies who have the funding to kind of fight these legal battles. It's a very scary thought to think of yeah. that suppression of media going and, forward. And so you have somebody, a Peter, who I like and respect, uh, going after somebody who I don't like or respect, but it is a dangerous precedent. It, it, and I think we're, we'll both kind of agree it, there. It's an interesting case. We, we don't know the right answer. It's just very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, Go ahead, go ahead. I, I would also throw out that on the left or on the kind of more socially progressive side, uh, maybe especially in California and Silicon Valley, uh, there, there's a certain uh, – there's a, there a book written fairly recently uh, um, called Liberal Fascism. But there's a certain uh, kind of reticence to really support in, in, in a consistent way the First Amendment and freedom of speech. You know, uh, there, was, there was a case recently where the uh, Mozilla CEO was kind of thrown out of his job for – opposing the uh, California uh, same-sex marriage, uh, uh, which mm -hmm. I was 100% for, but believe that it was within the uh, within the kind of scope of polite conversation. Well, that's actually a perfect transfer. Let's go to our next sure. subject on Peter Thiel. So, sure. uh, Peter Thiel, last week he announced a $1.25 million donation to Donald Trump's campaign. Also uh, not going to be as good as the Facebook announcement. <laughs> uh, which I, I wonder why you would donate $1.25 million to a campaign that is maybe on fire right now, but not Neither here nor there. But the tech industry responded with uh, just a furor that I, I haven't seen. Uh, I, tons of people came out and demanded companies with ties to him cut their ties to him or else they would boycott him. Uh, you know, people were saying, Facebook, kick him off your board. He's on Y Combinator's board. And companies were saying, we'll never take money from Y Combinator. Uh, and in response, both Facebook's head, Y Combinator's head, Facebook's head, Mark Zuckerberg, they had to come out and say, look, we can't kick someone off of our board because 
he has different political views than us. Uh, so wait, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, this case as well. Well, I, I think I'm pretty much out of the closet as a capitalist. One of the things I love about <laughs> capitalism is we don't have to agree on all these things yeah. to be able to do business together. That's the whole point of this system. Um, and uh, so, you know, he has uh, taken a specific view in this case. Um, let me say not one that I, I share. Uh, uh, I was going to say not one that I share necessarily, but I, I'll just say not one that I share. Um, and it's a pretty rare one. It, it is a minority view. Who doesn't support Donald Trump right now? Uh, of the top 100 newspapers, none. Of the top 100 uh, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 CEOs, none. Of his employees, five BIPs, 12 of 22,450. Mm-hmm. So it is a minority position. But uh, the protections for speech and political views are for minority positions. Majority positions don't need protection. You know, and, and I've heard a lot of a lot of theses behind why Peter Thiel might be supporting Donald Trump. I think most people think it's because Donald Trump is so for cutting taxes, and most hardcore libertarians really lo- like that position. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, some people think, oh, by donating 1.25 million, it's great publicity stunt for him. I thought Jeff Bezos actually had a very interesting one that I literally just saw earlier today. Jeff Bezos said, "Look, Peter Thiel's whole thing is," and, and you kind of said something like this as well. Peter Thiel's whole thing and venture capitalist's whole thing is you buy something that other people think has a 1% chance of working mm-hmm. and it actually has a 4% chance of working. And if you're right, it, the 4% is a 10 or 100 bag, a 10x or 100 bagger. So you get paid massively. He's a contrarian mm-hmm. and he's making a very contrarian bet. Not one that Jeff Bezos agrees with, not one that clearly a lot of people agree with, but Peter Thiel has made a contrarian bet that if Donald Trump is elected, that $1.25 million will get him a lot of influence in the White House. So I, I think that's the reasoning. Uh, go ahead. He, he's comfortable making low probability uh, bets. I try to stay very agnostic to the payoff structure, just looking at expected value and probabilities. But most of the things we do, most of the things you and I do, I would say, for the most part, have, I would say, at least a double digit percentage of, of paying off. You know, we do a lot of things with 30, 40, 50, but he does a lot of things with one, two, three percent mm-hmm. chance of working. He's very conversant in that. And uh, he might have something in common with Donald Trump, although before this election, I never would have. Identified almost anything to unite the two, which is I believe Donald Trump has spent the time, energy, and resources on this campaign to buy a perch to get to say things, mm-hmm. largely to monetize. Peter might have simply paid for the perch to speak at the convention and talk about more libertarian, freedom-oriented ideas mm-hmm. and try to bring those concepts more to the surface. Yeah, and look, between speaking at the Republican convention and this donation, he certainly raised his national profile to the point where he he's a billionaire and he's got the national profile now. He can be a player on the Republican stage yeah. going forward as they maybe have to to pick up the pieces from what's left after Donald Trump. I would. I find Peter just an infinitely more impressive, credible source directly. I strongly supported him running for the Senate in California, which he, did he ultimately run for Senate or no, was no, he, he did, did not. He was. Uh, he, he was uh, the. I, I thought it would have been terrific, um, but he's doing it indirectly. But hopefully people will listen at least somewhat directly to the things he's actually saying himself. Yeah, so cool. I, I think these were sensitive subjects, so I'll just reiterate. I don't think we have like any firm views here. This was just a discussion. We weren't saying we were right one way or the other. I, I have yeah. a hard time with all of these. Yeah. It relates to things I care about a lot, but the 
principles don't answer these questions, yeah. the principles kind of come in conflict in these uh, in ways yeah. that are hard to C- sort out. Certainly dealing with gray areas more than we typically do on this yeah. podcast. All right, so that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audioboom. And Chris, I don't know about you, but I think the whole iTunes rating system has been rigged against us. We should have been the number one podcast for five years in a row. I, I do not accept the outcome of <laughs> anything unless I win, in which case I do. If we are not the top-rated iTunes podcast in the next two days, I refuse to accept the iTunes system going forward. Uh, disclosures, Chris, I don't think we mentioned anything that either of us would be long. So uh, I, I actually think uh, tangentially um, uh, I am long a little net suite. And I don't remember if LinkedIn came up uh, as Burgundy, but I'm along some uh, Burgundy. So you're, you're along code. some Burgundy, and we don't know NetSuite's uh, code. We'll, it doesn't have a cool code in our, yeah. uh, We need to make up one for it. Uh, we'll think of one for next week. We'll talk to you guys on next Monday or Tuesday. Prosecco, there you go. Talk to you guys soon.